0: This podcast was brought to you by Zinc. Zinc is an all-in-one background and reference checking software that supercharges the capabilities of ambitious HR and hiring teams. Our range of integrated solutions turn bad to brilliant, saving weeks of team time all while building brand love. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups, the show for growing businesses moving at the speed of light. I'm your host, Sophie Power. For those of you who don't know me i'm the talent lead here at zinc um, however hopefully you've listened to a couple of episodes now so uh i'll be a, a familiar voice coming at you and this is our end of, of year podcast which is really exciting this is episode 12 thank you for for sticking with me um and i am absolutely delighted for this episode to be welcoming back our former host theo smith who is the co-author of neurodiversity at work and a neurodiversity consultant welcome Hello, thank you for having me on.
1: It's nice to be on the other side of the table.
0: I was going to say, it's great to have our Zinc back on the podcast. Um, and then, yeah, for the benefits of, of those who've, who've missed you on Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups, um, what have you been up to lately? I hear there's a book.
1: Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's the, there's the book. We won an award, um, Business Book of the Year in Diversity, Inclusion, Belonging. Uh, And we're up for a European Book Award um, that's in the next few weeks. That will be in Germany, uh, in Frankfurt, I believe, or surrounding area um, will be given. And uh, yeah, we're talking about um, book number two and what that will look like. But uh, yeah, lots of events, um, talking lots of organizations um, from, you know, some of the big players to now governments uh, and institutes. So it's getting really fascinating in terms of some of the work that we're doing.
0: Oh, incredible, incredible, and and yeah, I think it's it's such an important topic. It's uh, for those who who don't follow me on LinkedIn, um, I'm I'm neurodiverse myself, and um, quite quite new to the game, having only like a loss of women only been recently diagnosed in my in my thirties. Um, but um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey, and I have to say, I um i've read half of neurodiversity at work um then i moved house and accidentally packed it into my storage unit which i think tracks really quite nicely um in a way um but i've I've, the co-founders have have both got a copy so they've promised to, to lend me one um but yes it's it's really it's been really helpful um for me both as a as an hr professional as a neurodiverse person myself and you know just generally somebody who who wants to learn more about the topic um so, yeah, so thank you for, for your work on that. No problem. And so I suppose for those uh, in, in my mind, in, in sort of my, my world that I, I move in, it's, it's sort of something I, I feel reasonably as, as well informed as I can be at this stage about it. But for those who are wondering, eh, um, do you mind starting off by maybe just, just very briefly talking about what neurodiversity actually is? And we'll, we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we, I've seen a big kind of increase in uh, people's level of understanding and engagement around the topic. Three, four, five years ago, can't even remember now. Yeah. Um, the when I used to go into a room and talk about it, not many hands would go up, and that's still the case in certain instances. I was in um, the sourcing summit in Amsterdam earlier this year, and uh, when I yeah when I, when I asked, so um, who? Who knows what I'm going to talk about? So first of all, I was like, are you all ready? Yay! you all ready? Yay!" And I was like, right, now you all sound so excited and ready. How many of you even know what we're going to talk about today? And, you know, like even then, not that many hands went up. So even in some regards, a lot more hands are going up. There are still too few more broadly outside of the UK, which is where a lot of the talks have previously gone on. Um, and so I was like, "Well, it's great to see you so enthusiastic around a subject you have no idea about." <laughs> but by the end of it, they were all engaged and, and, and super excited about this concept of neurodiversity, which basically is um, exactly like uh, biodiversity. Right? We need variations in plants, in trees, in bees. Without bees, without trees, without plants, uh, without uh, the oxygen we get from the sea. You know, these are very important things. Exactly. we would die, right? We would die a horrible death and so would the world. It would crumble, right? Then it's not too far a stretch to think about cognitive diversity as important to the planet, to the world, to business, to economies, the education system, to governments, right? If we start to lack uh, variety and variability in the ecosystem, it puts other things at risk. If we start to marginalize system impact And segregate um, certain minds from our neurological ecosystem, we will ultimately face the consequences of that at some point. So neurodiversity is like biodiversity, billions of brain cells in our head, not one of us is the same, thumbprint, every single one of us has got a different one. um, And that doesn't look that complex to me. Now imagine billions and billions and billions of brain cells. That's when we talk about the level of complexity, right? So 80-odd percent of people, it's around 79% of people in the UK with a diagnosis on the autism spectrum uh, are currently out of work, right? And that's increased uh, during COVID, Um, so more people on the autism spectrum out of any kind of work. Um, That's what we're talking about when I talk about uh, marginalized, system-impacted, and segregation of minds from our um, built environments, um, e- education systems uh, organizations um ecosystem right and it, and we are going to we are going to see the impact of this in the future if we don't take action now um and bring uh, those incredible minds in back into uh, the systems and processes
0: yeah yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so interesting when you relate it to biodiversity. Um, I'm just for the benefit of those on audio only looking around, I'm, I'm grabbing plants left, right and centre. Um, I, I, you know, sort of do, do love that, um, that kind of that analogy. And I think, in a way, it's, it's strange, isn't it? The way that, we so easily and readily accept how important biodiversity is for the planet, but we don't consider how complex the brain is and how, you know, uh, intricate and how much we actually don't understand about the brain at all and how it works. There are there are functions and systems that we've not been able to work out yet. So it's kind of strange in a way that we've never, con- you know, sort of only recently starting to really consider the impact of neurodiversity because it's, it's it, of course, there are different ways our, our brains are wired. And... I, I, you know, in a workplace context, there have been so many times, you know, long before I was diagnosed as well. And I was just bumbling around, assuming everyone thought like me, which, you know, is a whole other problem. But, you know, sort of people were being like, huh, I'd never think of it like that. And I'd be like, huh, why wouldn't you? It's so obvious. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's drawbacks to that for sure. And um, there's been plenty of times when I've worked with a, a hiring manager as a recruiter, and we've been coming at the same problem from completely different angles and overshot and undershot each other. But then also, there's been times where we, you know, I've been working with with a team and, and been able to bounce ideas around and come up with new ways of approaching a problem. And there's so many incredible things like that neurodiverse uh, folks can bring to the workplace. It's when you look at the employment statistics, as you've rightly just pointed out, it's it's really upsetting um, to think how many. Because I think if you then broke that down by how many of those unemployed folks want to be in work, then it becomes even more um, more upsetting. And you know how you know what can we do um, to make this better? And um, you know what can businesses, uh, especially scaling ones where you know we are we are growing. Um, we are, you know, employing new people. We are, you know, we're hiring um, because that's scaling, um, or at least part of it. You know, what, what can we do um, to, to help bring neurodi- more di- neurodiverse folks on? So it's interesting. You said
1: there that, it, that you people who find it easier to um, think around biodiversity, for example. I guess I challenge that in the sense that we are in a critical moment in the world now where we're getting hotter and colder. Um, The things that we've done without even thinking about it have had uh, a significant negative impact on the world. Or even if we've known about it, we've still ignored it. Um, So we have a similar challenge when we consider neurodiversity. That, you know, know, we lay down fake lawns because it looks nicer, it's prettier. um, uh, But we don't consider how that impacts, you know, the ecosystem, right? And think of the worms, think of the birds, they need to get the worms. Think of the barrier you put in between the bees, the birds and the worms and whatever else right so we're, we're doing all of this stuff because it just it's neater it's tidier it's it helps us in our lives think i don't have to mow the lawn i don't have to worry about all this extra stuff we do the same within our environments um in our work environments we how can i simplify my environment um unfortunately though that when we're simplifying our environment for us we put barriers up for others um and and we it, it's hard especially in a moment of crisis or under significant pressure or in growth um, for us to think about that because we're constantly stuck in our own bubble um, and therefore we're we're just trying to find a way through. Uh, We need to get better at thinking more broadly around the wider impact and if we think about an organization that's going through growth and transformation and if we're thinking about tech companies for example, most are these days in some way shape or form, um, the big disruptors, the big organizations that are seeing significant growth that have some tech uh, around what they're doing often um and uh, those organizations because of the speed at which they grow they may be okay today right they may have 20 30 40 50 people right that's manageable it's enough that you can give each individual a bit of focus flexibility in their role um and give them a a, a bit of a personal focus in their needs What's going to help them, flexibility, trying out different technologies, ways of working, right? As you start to scale, what happens is you put additional layers of management, additional layers of bureaucracy, additional layers of red tape. So, a lot of these tech companies that I talk to, when we look at the workforce, are like 40, 50% neurodiverse. So, 40 to 50% of the workforce identify as being dyslexic or ADHD or autistic or uh, dyscalculic or dyspraxic or who knows what else right aphantasia or um, any number of other things that impact the way that their brain works in the environment that makes them stand out maybe to, to some of the other people in that environment and it's invisible um, now when, when that organization that's not considered the neurological makeup of the teams and then it scales rapidly, almost doubles in size over a period of time one to three years. And it's not thought about it. All of a sudden, it hits this point of crisis where people are leaving, people are complaining about leadership and management, people are um, complaining about toxic culture. All of these things come about because they didn't consider the unique, incredible abilities of those individuals within the organization and they thought, it would still be okay when they scaled, right? It won't because you're going to dramatically change the environment, systems, processes, and the way that those individuals are managed in a short space of time. Now, that can impact people because of the change curve. Some move through it more slowly than others. But generally, it's going to impact them because you are going to change a whole load of stuff quickly. That, for anybody, one day... You weren't micromanaging them. Next minute you are because you've got somebody who lacks confidence in their leadership skills because you've grown really quickly and they've already been promoted twice. All of a sudden they're managing people and they don't really have the expertise on how to support the individual. Therefore, they micromanage them. And the impact that that has on certain brains is explosive. Right? And then people are wondering, hey, why is Theo come over and like kicked my table over? Okay, slightly extreme. Maybe not. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Another story for another day, but this is what we're talking about, right? The and, and the significant speed at which we're moving, it can be potentially incredible for neurodiverse talent because it provides jobs and opportunities um, with less red tape than the big corporates that put in these uh, potential interest structures that are much more difficult for some neurodiverse talent to access. They can break down some of those barriers, but then the support, the longer-term support recognition and understanding both to the manager and to the individual that is being supported, managed, led, however you want to define it. So we need to get much, much better as organizations, as managers, as leaders, as CEOs of this organization, thinking about it before you hit the pain barrier, because unfortunately then it's like anything, you know, prevention, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times better, uh, more cost-effective, uh, less impactful from a negative perspective than cure.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it taps into that that very kind of modern HR concept of people debt, um, which, uh, to quote a friend of mine, Matt Bradburn, is, is one of the hardest debts as a business to pay back. Because um, by the time you realise it's a problem, people are leaving, um, you're having a, a sort of a retention problem, which then drives a recruitment problem um and and then where do you start from there um you've then got to do a lot of work to kind of underpin you know what's happened what's gone wrong how can we make it better you're also still trying to grow and scale as you go um you know you're trying to build the boat while you sailing it but the boat's also falling apart a little bit it gets very tricky and i think what is underlying in all of what you've just said Theo is that it's a very proactive process um in the same way you know that you can't you I mean literally the phrase you can't sit on your lungs you can't get complacent about these things you know um you know it's similar to you know lots of, of different inclusion work but you know you have to be very proactive and always thinking about how you know how how can we be more inclusive how, you know does this scale for everyone are we you know Yeah, this is the path of least resistance, but who is it the path of least resistance for? Um, You know, if it's the path of least resistance for one very small group of people, other people who fall outside of of that kind of shape and modeler, you know, not going to find it that easy. Um, And you know, I've 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 been there. I think lots of us, lots of us have who are who are listening, no doubt. Um, So yes, but then I think as well. one thing that that's sort of quite important is it we can't put all of the onus on on neurodiverse folks to to think about these things. Um, I think it's really important that the kind of talent and hiring managers um, who sort of fall outside of that bracket also, you know, what what do we think they can be doing um, to make a, a hiring process or you know sort of people processes more inclusive for for neurodiverse folks um, without you know, putting the the burden of, of education onto neurodiverse uh, team members.
1: So here's the thing. One of the biggest problems I think we've got is um, when you talk about neurodiversity or the concept and people struggle to think about it, get it, or don't want to get it. Um, if you think of people within HR roles, I've seen it. It's like, yeah, we'll do that next year or the year after. We're too busy doing whatever other category of diversity inclusion that they decided they want to do or whatever other category of whatever else they decide they want to do right but yep. what if we're talking about um uh if we're talking about neurodiversity we're talking about every single human being on this planet right first of all right we're saying every single one of us is unique we're talking about our brain right and how our brain works within the environment we should be much better to understand that and we're not right at a fundamentally basic level we do not now what we're saying is that what we understand about the brain now is that there are so many things that we have within our environments within our processes the ways that we work that are having a significantly negative impact on that individual's ability to work so if somebody's got um is affected by light right they potentially can get visual aura and migraines right that light that bright light that you've got there that you refuse to change because you want to change all the bulbs or whatever reason you give, that light is giving somebody visual order and migraines. And that person then can't do their job, right? So you can, you can dismiss it and go, yeah, well, will worry about it another day. But you are disabling that individual in that environment um, from being able to do their job. And this is what we're talking about, right? This is why TA, this is why HR, you need to do something about this, because this isn't um, whether or not we go and hire more people this is 20 to 30 percent of your workforce it can be parents it can be people impacted by themselves that's why they need to to really get up and think about this.
0: 100 percent I yeah uh, it's funny you mentioned light bulbs I uh, a couple of years ago I won't say exactly how many so keep it non-specific but I it's before my diagnosis so I was in an office environment where the light bulbs were all wrong um and i don't know how to explain it but i was getting migraines you know once or twice a week which is horrific um i was having to go home early all the time and i felt like an absolute diva drama queen completely extra is sort of quite a popular one um i've had thrown at me quite a lot um and you know sometimes yeah probably am but uh you know not this time i don't think and I felt actually a little bit like I was losing my mind um because I was saying we need to get a contractor in to review all of the light bulbs because this isn't normal. And uh why why am I getting migraines all the time? Why is everybody else fine? Why does nobody why, you know, and I was ending my work day with bloodshot eyes, um, like I'd been, you know, out partying all night and I was going home, going straight to bed by sort of like half past seven in the evening. And literally that was the impact. Like I ended up getting signed off work. Um, and and you know, it you know, I was off work for about three weeks. I had a neurology referral. Um, it you know, it was insane. Like the, the sensory impact of of the lights in the office being too, too bright. And you know, we had a contractor look in and he went, Well, these are the wrong light bulbs, like these are you know when you want daylight level studio lighting like they're not office light bulbs they're completely the wrong light bulbs you're not crazy um but you know it was a whole project and the whole office was just sort of looking at me like I was absolutely insane but it's absolutely spot on it's you know it's it's a huge it's just sort of things like that um make such a huge impact um on you know not just then you know it doesn't just affect like you know your mind which is bad enough but it affects your physical health as well because you know like the brain controls everything um you know it controls you know what pain hormones get released it controls like whether your you know immune system response is is correct so it's so important when people are spending the majority of their time at work to look after um their environment really important so kind of moving sort of on and, and kind of thinking about that sort of proactive uh more kind of inclusive approach um I think again that biodiversity is is so interesting because the way I see it is it would be like trying to tackle the climate crisis by focusing on one type of plant at a time when thinking about an inclusion strategy so we're going to tackle the climate crisis but this year we're only going to focus on oak trees no, we're not going to worry about ferns until next year. No, corals the year after. Um, oh, no, no, we can't think about that now because it's national. Don't use your tumble dryer week. Um, we'll worry about washing machines later. Um, and it's it's kind of the same thing. You've, you've got to look at it holistically um, and, and sort of take into it. And, yeah, it does feel a bit overwhelming sometimes. Um, but, yeah, it, I just think it's so important um, to take these things sort of in a collective. And yeah, when you use that biodiversity analogy, it's a brilliant one to bring up, Theo. It really highlights how how crazy it's just uh, you know, for want of a better word, you know, just pick uh one lane and, and only stick with it that year. Um I think lots of of smaller um initiatives, um sort of let's look at small ways that we can start building up, but let's bring them all together. I think could potentially be far more impactful the idea of of people doing you know trying to do certain things imperfectly rather than just nailing one thing and being absolutely perfect at it
1: i think the um what's really had an impact is the last uh, few years as well i think empathy has gone up right Um, and that's because people have been stuck at home and they've gone well actually this working from home thing is quite good Um, I interviewed somebody recently, uh, a head of talent acquisition um, for my podcast, and they mentioned their OCD. Um, And, you know, this is is the reality now, you know, very senior people, top positions, at home, four walls, realizing things about themselves they possibly hadn't really confronted. And that then brings empathy because whereas before they may have been like, oh, I I don't know whether... I don't know how I get why the person wants to work from home. Like I'm well, I've been in the office all the time until the moment when they sat in their office and they realize actually I've been able to address my lighting, I've been able to address my sound. I've been able to get a cup of tea and not have to worry about getting everybody else a cup of tea and then getting confused with the orders, which I hate, right? So with people asking for different things, writing it down, and then I get confused and I mix them up. And did I put sugar in that one? Didn't I have to throw four of them away? I have to start
0: again. It's like i just want to make myself a cup of tea right <laughs> yeah one of my special interests is tea i used to run a tea drinking society so it would stress me out so much because on one hand making a cup of tea is like the most natural thing on planet earth to me but on the other hand what if i get it wrong what if it's not perfect um and then i'm going spend sort of 20 minutes of my day obsessing over this round of teas um And then, of course, you make a tea really good. And it's a curse when you work in an office because you're then always the one that makes tea. And then you've wasted like an hour of your day just making everyone cups of tea. Um... (laughs) And it's an easy
1: way to get me to moan. Like you give me a cup of tea that doesn't meet the criteria. So this is the other thing. I'm obsessed about it. So I'm like, well, you know, if this is how I feel about my cup of tea, how that puts a lot of pressure on me considering others, whereas generally people are not as crazy about tea as I am.
0: Yeah. Because, and again, like you're then telling myself uh, as an autistic person, oh, I'll just take it as it comes. It's just like, what does that even mean? No, tell me specifically what you would like. Um, you're stressing me out now. Um, do you like it strong? Do you like it milky? How much sugar do you take? What, what size teaspoon? That's not a measure unless you've got a measuring teaspoon. But who's got that in an office? I mean, I do at home, but that's a different matter.
1: But there we go. You do at home. So there we go. That's where the empathy comes from, the understanding, the appreciation that, oh, I get how you say you have some challenges with your children because X, Y, and Z, because you're having to do extra for them, because you're having to work harder for them. A lot of parents have now been sat at home and they've experienced that because their kids weren't going to the school and they had to try and teach them. So they're getting an experience of the extra effort parents might be going into with their uh, neurodiverse, autistic, dyslexic child. So um, that, that is just it's changed the, the conversation slightly. And, and also it's helped people within HR or due respect to you and recruitment to also be able to go, OK, right. Now we're starting to see the impact on individuals now um both positive and negatively, right It's not all uh, you know it's not all about the the challenges we face. it's also the real opportunities now for how we move forwards um and I think that has been a leveler so that's what I think is the great opportunity now for organizations, for leaders um this is I spend now my time through the work I do um advising CEOs and boards. On thinking around neurodiversity as kind of um, an overarching part of their people strategy, we're not just talking about this as a line within your one of your initiatives. This is fundamental to the future success and growth of your organisation. And that just that change and shift in thinking. You you know remember um, parents who are, have neurodiverse children and neurodiverse themselves, whether they talk about it, whether they share it they are ceos they are engineers they're taxi drivers they're pickers they're packers they're all different types of jobs and roles but they're also heading a pay chart as well so this is where the real change is now going to start to come and where we're seeing significant movement in not every organization because it's a journey right but i'll just take the the ones that are ready for the journey those are the ones i'm taking and the rest can follow sometime after
0: yeah exactly um no and i think it's a great way to look at it. and to pick up on on sort of something you mentioned earlier it's not all about the challenges i think that is a really important thing to note because it's not just about how difficult it can be um so linkedin recently have added dyslexic thinking as a skill um and a, you know sort of we're starting I feel like first came the acknowledgement of what a large kind of under-researched topic this is, what a large unspoken topic this is, but then I'm also just, just starting to see, and I think this is a really good thing, starting to see a shift towards viewing neurodiversity as a sort of a positive thing Um, and, you know, I'm I'm loving starting to see, uh, you know, lots of people, content creators, people such as yourself as well, um, you know, across LinkedIn, across, you know, the other social media I I dip into. Um, I live on Instagram outside of work. It's I'd say it's embarrassing, but I love it between that and cat memes. um, You know, I, uh, you know, I'm starting to see the shift towards seeing the positives um, and, what what are sort of your, your thoughts on that and, and sort of things that, you know, positive things that employees can be looking for in, in the workplace for, for neurodiverse folks? Because we bring a lot to the table, a lot of good stuff to the table.
1: Well, yeah, and this is not held exclusively for neurodiversity, right? So disability rights has been talking for much longer about, um, you know, I guess the medical model versus the social model. The medical model being the fact that, you know, there's something wrong, we need to fix it, you need to pop a pill or have an operation or whatever other kind of uh, thing you need to do based on there being something wrong with you, right? Now, that doesn't that doesn't mean that people don't need to go and see the GP. People may need to pop pills, whatever works for you, right? But ultimately, there's the social model, the idea that the barriers are put in place by others that uh, disable you from being able to carry out um, daily tasks or your work or anything else. And it's the same challenge we've seen with um, uh, people not being able to access our built environments because they're in a wheelchair and, you know, still are too many train stations are not even accessible, um, let alone our city centres. So you know, we're not even where we should be there, but, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it would be almost impossible to gain access to uh, uh, work environments. But look at the transformation, the journey that we've come. So that, that's what we need to think about. When we remove the barriers, right, or we give opportunities for people to work in different locations, in different ways, and we don't insist that everybody has to work in exactly the same way, um, that's where we see the skills really come out. Because at the end of the day, we all start from a different place in life. We all you know, have a, a, a number of other um, impacting factors that come into play around what we can and can't do. Um, and therefore we need to start in different places in the world. And that's why we get into the topic of equity, right? Providing equity for all. So the strengths the strengths can only be seen when we remove some of those barriers, right? Otherwise we will just, we will just continue to see the challenges because it's hard to show your strength um, when you're fighting for air um, to, to keep your head above the water. And that's the reality. The minute you're elevated... Um, to a position where you can show your unique, incredible strengths, that's where people's minds are blown. The other thing I have a real challenge with is that um, a lot of people who um, uh, identify as uh, under the disability character or as neurodiverse, they struggle to see their strengths because for too long, um, and I've been there, for too long, you were told you're less than. You were told you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not going to achieve this, you're not going to achieve that, you can only expect this rather than that. And in many instances, um, and I can't account for every single human being on this planet, but in many instances, I've seen that that's not been the case. Many, many, many people I know who are neurodiverse go on to achieve far more than was expected of them at uh, school, or by their families, or by the environments. And And that says something to me, and it says that we've got a responsibility to pay that forwards, right? Um, To ensure that the next people coming along have the systems, the technologies to support, they're able to climb up on the platform to be able to show their best selves, because otherwise they'll continue to believe the rhetoric that is put upon them by others, and they'll continue to allow other people to surround them in kryptonite. And ultimately, kryptonite is the disabling factor here that we need to remove. Um, so that's something I'm really keen. But I don't, I, at the same point, I don't want to take anybody's um, personal viewpoint and opinion away from them. That if they feel um, there are significant challenges um, that make them struggle and they want to identify in one way or another and they want to focus on the challenges because they need the support and access to help, then that's okay with me.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I have days where I feel really empowered, um, and feel like I can take over the world. And then I have days where I cannot even think straight. Um, and I can't even like get out of bed. Um, but you know, um, and then every single action like just depletes your energy. Um, there's something I was talking, um, about with a friend recently was you know sort of it's not necessarily about what what folks can and can't do um it's about how much energy um it can take from from you to actually do the thing so you're seeing in the workplace especially you might be seeing a very small portion of of what your colleague is is sort of you know the energy that your colleague is bringing that's a very small portion of their day in the grand scheme of things What you're not seeing is them getting home at the end of the day and having no energy for, you know, things that will, you know, fill them back up, their hobbies, their interests, um, their friends, their family. So it's really important to, you know, sort of give people the, the space and the empowerment to say, actually, yeah, no, this, this, it's, it's a challenge right now. Um, uh, you know, and, and things aren't easy, um, as opposed to looking at all of the uh, sort of you know, the brilliant and the exciting all the time as well.
1: Yeah, we have to get a balance, right? We have to get a balance. And and just to put pre- I think everybody needs their space to to give their voice and opinion. The way that I look at at it, like at the simplest level, is I have a, a responsibility to my daughter and I want to ensure that she understands her significant strengths, because there are plenty of people, plenty of people willing to tell her where her challenges are on a daily basis. So yeah, I'm going to counter argue that with where I see her incredible strengths. So that hopefully when she gets to an age where she's asked a question, she remembers all her strengths as much as the challenges.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's it's interesting I mean I think yeah because otherwise it's such a deep set pattern I mean right from the start um sort of people being told this is a challenge this is a challenge your whole life and and you know some days it absolutely feels that way for sure but if you're if you if you went to the gym every day for your life you'd be really fit if you're told you can't do something every day of your life it would be a very deeply set belief um and so it's, it's so important, I think, for, for people to hear like, all of the things that, that they can achieve and, and they can do, um, because it is possible. Um, but possible with the right support um, and the right advocates and, and people who are, who are your champions and your cheerleaders um, and having the confidence to, to sort of embrace that as well, um, which isn't easy. I've I've not always been very good at it. It's completely natural, um, you know. I, you know, I've I've personally found it quite. It's easy for me to sit here and say that, um, but doing it is another matter, um, for sure. Um, thinking back to the workplace, what what is sort of something that you would love to see? Um, uh, HR leads in scale up, such as myself, for example. What is the one thing you'd love to see us doing more of um, to support people?
1: I think enabling people to have the conversation um, is really important. And that's where we see a lack of understanding. So, um, you know, some of the organizations I work with have never asked the question, right? Through fear, through lack of understanding, um, through concern around um, privacy and, you know, a number of other factors. But there's ways and means that you can do it. You know, we work with organizations to survey them independently and then we have uh, the broad data that we can provide the insights back so that they can make decisions and what I tend to find is one of the questions we use at the end is if you are happy to provide your details so that we can contact you and ask more questions then please provide them but otherwise you know this remains anonymous. Uh, The amount of people who are willing to give their details to talk more is actually fairly substantial and that goes way beyond you know so often we'll get something like you know, one of the organizations we're working with, seven or eight percent identify as being ND, right? They identify as, as being neurodiverse or neurodivergent, depending on your preference terminology. Um, uh, so that's 78%, seven, percent. But then you get another 20 to 25 percent or more dependent will identify with it, but will not have a diagnosis because we're asking that question, right? So there you go from 7% who could probably put their hand up and go, yeah, I've got a diagnosis, that's me. You've got two or three times more who identify with it, but just don't have a piece of paper or don't feel they have the right to say, I absolutely am, right? So there's the issue, right? If you as a HR leader within an organization is not facilitating and supporting having those conversations in a protected, protected environment, um, then you're missing out on all of the impacting factors and the challenges. And to your point earlier, when you um, think, oh, these lights really kill my eyes and you're in a little protective group talking about it and three or four other people, rather than in your team, where does everyone else make go, no, I'm fine. Three or four people from the rest of the organization go, yeah, they, I, I really struggle with them as well. Or, oh, oh, is that why I've been getting headaches? Oh, oh, is that why sometimes I, I, you know, I just can't concentrate towards the end. Of it? So it's not even that they go that they then are connecting with what you're telling them about migraines, visual order, or whatever it may be, and then they're connecting the dots to them. All of a sudden, a small little group has come together for the realization that these lights are a problem, and then it's not you having to fight the corner; it is the group feeding back to the organisation. This is what too, and this is what we're talking about when we talk about employee resource groups, right? um and you've got to be careful because you when we say to people these days hey you want to bring your whole self to work bring your whole self to work we're a cool company we bring our whole selves to work (laughs) well i don't know like which which bit of your whole self do you bring and which bit do you don't sometimes i don't want to talk to uh, who i am on that day i don't want to deal with who i am on that day do i bring that to the team when the team's all happy and motivated and i come in and Basically, I tell everybody how depressed I am and how eh, today's really bad. And like, what, what does that do for productivity or mood in the environment? I think, so we need to think about, we need to empower people. We need to empower people to bring their whole selves to work. But we need to bring their whole selves to work, right, in different areas and different parts of themselves. So I might bring that bit of my challenges around being neurodiverse to a neurodiversity group right? Or a disability ERG or whatever it may be. Um, I won't necessarily bring it to the table for everybody else because I don't know their viewpoint and whether they're going to misunderstand it and whether I'm going to be further marginalized or system impacted or negatively looked at and assumptions that are made. Oh, you're ADHD. Oh, that's okay. So that confirms you are, you're more disorganized than I thought. And you were pretty disorganized then, you know, so it's like, it's actually amplified their negative perception and viewpoint of view rather than it becoming a way for them to go, ah, okay, well, you know, incredible minds come with that, so that's great. So how can we support you with this to enable more of that? Um, And this is what we need to start to be thinking about. Um, How do we protect people? How do we let them bring a lot of their knowledge and expertise and real experiences, but not in a way it's inadvertently going to chip away um, at, at them, they eventually have um, uh, even greater challenges within that environment because they weren't ready to share and we've kind of forced them down that route.
0: One of the things, you know, you mentioned about employee resource groups, they are a brilliant way uh, to encourage psychological safety, not just for neurodiverse folks, um, physically disabled folks as well. But, you know, lots of different groups, LGBTQ, um, different racial groups, things like that. Um, And I think. It's so important to create that sense of safety. It's all well and good inviting people to bring their whole selves to work, but they need to know that they're not going to face uh, discrimination um, and systemic issues from doing that because um, it's one thing to encourage people to disclose something, but it's another thing to then use that knowledge or you know sort of people live in very valid fears based on lived experience of of that knowledge being used against them as you mentioned, you know, sort of, oh, you have ADHD. Oh, so you're even more disorganized, as you said. Um, You know, that's one example um, of sort of uh, that information being used against somebody. So it's really important, I think, for businesses, if you're thinking, um, and you should be, if you're thinking about neurodiversity at work, I think it's very important to look at, you know, ways that you can build that that feeling of, of safety so that people actually feel comfortable that, you know, they're going to be safe if, if they do bring their whole self to work. And also creating that unconditional permission that actually you don't have to if you don't want to. If you want to be private about something, that's absolutely fine. If it's just a conversation you want to have with your manager so that they're aware for their awareness and how you can better communicate, great. That, I think, also is really important because um, you don't have to uh always be the one um that is kind of uh flying the flag um and it's okay sometimes to just want to be just just you who does your job um and I think that that can kind of uh that sort of appreciation is really important as well um you know sort of something we do at Zinc I you know if you want to if you're listening and you want to steal the idea then absolutely go for it is we've got personal user manuals um it's it's voluntary you don't have to do it if you don't want to because um, i'm really not a fan of forcing these things but you know quite a lot of us um have written them and it's just sort of around um i get my best work done when um uh, i'm you know whether you're a morning or an afternoon or an evening person um these are my favorite ways to communicate you will know i'm i'm really stressed when you see me dot 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 Um, and you know it's it's very work focused it's not necessarily um, for those that wish to fill it out it's not necessarily asking people to you know talk about their uh, their personal lives and their deepest darkest um, secrets and desires but it what it is really useful for is just helping to understand each other a little bit better Um, so for me it was an opportunity to say like look if you're giving me feedback just be really blunt about it Um, I can handle it I will not pick up um on, on sort of indirect feedback, I will answer your rhetorical question very seriously and your sarcasm may go over my head. Um it's been really helpful. Um uh sort of you know, particularly like uh for those who uh don't follow me on LinkedIn, um, although you're welcome to if you wish, I've moved from Contract to Perm um so I'm also learning how to be an employee again um so it's been really helpful uh for me uh to have those conversations with my manager and sort of understand uh how to communicate with each other but it's also just creating that permission um and that that sort of sense of safety of yeah you can do that if you want um but equally you know sort of folks who who you know kind of don't want to do that um that's also fine but you know it's just different ways of, of finding ways to kind of break down those barriers and you know, things like personal user manuals, employee resource groups, they're, they're really helpful ways of, of doing that, I think.
1: Yeah, and you can you may be too small, right, to, to have what may be a meaningful uh, a group and, and people are not willing to come forward just yet. Because you're quite small, you're already quite close-knit. It's the challenge I talk about when you scale. Um, but there are other opportunities to connect with other organizations, to create cross-organization groups, um, support groups, networks. Um, opportunity to work with other um, similarly aligned businesses, customers, and what have you. You know, there are ways that we can we can go beyond our four walls, um, and finding finding opportunities to work with um, customers as well as um, as other organisations within the space. I think is a is a great way um, to support one another and to learn from one another. So um, cross organisational kind of groups as well, if, if set up. Um, well enough and independently enough uh, I think can be quite powerful things
0: yeah I think it's a really interesting idea because we have them by practice um there's lots of uh sales sales operation networks HR networks um uh, you know kind of tech networks as well so so why not um why not kind of a, a neurodiversity network at work um again cross-organisational um you know they already exist the model works we know this um so why not um or, or you know groups within that um you know in my spare time um i'm you know an admin for for an hr and, and talent network and there's nine thousand people in there um and we've got you know sort of uh forums for people in HR specific roles, forums for parents, um, there's a golf club, believe it or not. Um, but you know, there's there's also areas for for talking about, you know, kind of diversity and and things like that as well. And, you know, it, it works quite well. Um as sort of a resource group for people who, yeah, work in 20 person companies. Um, where there's sort of not enough, not enough people um, to kind of create these these sort of groups, because um, yeah, it's one of the challenges uh, of sort of a small but soon to be uh, scaling business is actually sometimes um, you know there's just not enough of you. Um. <laughs> um, but there we go. Um, what um, what sort of top three tips would you give to employers who wanting to create a neuroinclusive inclusive environment for their
1: employees. Awareness, there's still a lack of awareness. So you want to supercharge the awareness as quickly as possible to let you know it's something you cared about, something you want to consider, and something you want to open up dialogue around within the organization. Because ultimately, you will have a neurodiverse <laughs> workforce, guaranteed, um, and you will have people who are struggling that you can help. Um, but you'll also have people with uh, great insight experiences lived experiences that they will be happy to share you can't just lean on those individuals because that will become a oppression itself or on them however uh, certainly you can open up the conversation so that's one of the most important things uh, and you can either look to do that internally through your own workforce depending on um, the energy levels and interest um, but there may still be some fear um therefore you may want to bring somebody in to to start that conversation and then start to put a plan in place like i said this is something that you need to think about beyond the next few months um this is part of your people strategy right that's how it should look so how how long is that how, how far forward are you looking you know um some uh, some teams organizations will be looking across the next 3 years i don't know maybe you're looking across the next 6 12 months um, but you should be thinking around what steps you're going to be taking, um, once that you've created that level of awareness. Uh, and then finally to think about, um, you know, what meaningful changes you can make, whether they be fast, um, or whether they're going to take some, some time, uh, to implement. There is certainly some things within your organization that are hurting people today that you can just remove, right? You can just remove them for them. So they're kind of the three things, right? Create the awareness, um, think about it in a longer strategic plan. And then what can you implement um, fast and slow? Uh, and uh, if you can start to think about that, you're going to be ahead of the game on about 96% of organizations. And that's that's a fact. That's uh, how significant a challenge it is at the moment to get this subject moving at the rate that it needs to. So you can be at the the front end of this game. So get on it.
0: Absolutely. I think that's brilliant advice. And Theo, thank you so much um, for joining us. Rounding out our our year, Um, uh, for those of you, I hope you have uh, a wonderful uh, journey into 2023. So hopefully this has given you lots to think about to plan your neurodiversity strategy for 2023. Thank you very much for joining us, Theo. It's wonderful to have you back. You know the Zinc team loves you very dearly. I quite. And this has been Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Zinc. Zinc is an all-in-one background and reference checking software that supercharges the capabilities of ambitious HR and hiring teams. Our range of integrated solutions turn bad to brilliant, saving weeks of team time all while building brand love. Thanks for listening.